Good morning and welcome to Redemption Church. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. We are going to continue uh, our study in the book of John. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to the book of John. Uh, If you are using your phone or app, that's great. If you have a hard copy of the scriptures, I think that's even better. Uh, John, if you're not familiar uh, with where that's found in your Bible, uh, it's in the kind of second half of your Bible. It's called the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we are in 21st chapter as we are nearing our end in our time uh, together in the, in the book of John. And I've really loved being uh, in, in John. I've really loved seeing Jesus in there. And one of the things that John's so good at uh, and that what he's doing is he's showing us uh, who God is in the person of Jesus. And so we've said this all through the series. If you want to know what God would think or what God would say or what God would do, uh, you're seeing that in John in the person of Jesus. And as John's kind of driving here towards the end, it's not just uh, that John wants us to see Jesus in the story, uh, it's that he wants us to have Jesus in our story. And and this morning, in this kind of epilogue story, um, we're going to see something really particular. I have to confess, this is one of my favorite stories in the scripture. I've taught this story uh, maybe more than others. Um, I typically come up here with about 12 pages of notes, and I've got over 20. So I'm going to try to really go fast. So uh, some of you are like, dang, we picked the wrong Sunday to show up. I told you we should have just gone to brunch. But uh, I'm going to try to go through it. It's so good. There's so much here. But but we are going to see, uh, in particular, uh, answering the question, what does God think about me when I fail? Like when I blow it. What is, what is God think, how can I be expected to be treated by Jesus when I completely blow it? Because at the end of this story, at the end of John, one of Jesus' guys, Simon Peter, and God has a big plan. God has a big purpose for, for, for Peter, but Peter has some pretty massive failure in his story, and he's in a real world of hurt. So before the credits can fully roll in the book of John, Jesus has a moment with this guy, Peter, because Simon's last act in this amazing God story that happened all around him um, was this big, miserable failure that he himself had. And he feels like, where we find him in this story, he feels like, I have totally failed Jesus. So let's pray uh, and ask God to help us quickly move through this and speak to us. Father, uh, we love you. God, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time that you give us together. Jesus, we need to see you. We need to hear from you. We need to know um, what you have to say to us corporately and personally and uniquely. And God, I do not have the strength or the power or the ability in myself to make that happen in this space, in this room. It only happens by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you come? God, I'm praying uh, for you to do an undeniable work in our midst. It's, it's not something we deserve. I, I feel even ridiculous and audacious asking for it. But God, I'm just asking that you would move with clarity and power, and God, that you would break chains and set captives free this morning. 
that only happens by your spirit. Holy Spirit, come work in our midst. Uh, God, let us just see once again how brilliant and amazing and beautiful you are, Jesus. I'm asking this in your name. Amen. If you are not familiar with this character, Peter, that we're going to be talking about this morning, uh, he's the follower of Jesus. He's bold. He's brash. He's confident. He's one of Jesus' earliest followers. Um, He's the one who's all heart, but not always all in the right mind. Uh, He's the kind of guy who talks before he thinks, shoots before he aims. He wants to prove to Jesus and he wants to prove to everybody else that he is the guy that Jesus can count on no matter what. That's how he postures himself, kind of his whole ministry relationship with Jesus. In fact, in the middle of Jesus' ministry, there's this moment where Jesus asks his followers, who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who's the first one who steps up with the right answer. He said, you are the Christ. You are the son of God, you are the sent one. Jesus says, Peter, that's right. In John chapter 13, there's this moment that Jesus and his followers are having, uh, and Peter tells Jesus, Lord, I am ready to die for you. Jesus is telling his guys how he has to die for the sins of the world, and Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, not happening. If they want to come for you, they have to come through me. And in another gospel, Peter even kind of dimes out the other guys. He's like, I don't know about these guys. But that's never going to be me. And Jesus says, Peter, you are going to deny that you even know me. And Peter, what he's doing is what I've done with God countless times. You can count on me. I will not let you down. You ever have one of those conversations? You ever have one of those moments in your relationship with God you're like, God, I know I've got this whole kind of backstory. I know there's all this stuff that's happened in the past, but I'm done with that. It's never going to happen again. You can count on me going forward. And what Jesus is trying to help us understand in this story, what Jesus is trying to help Peter understand in this story is the gospel. The gospel where Jesus says, no, Peter, I can't count on you. You're going to deny me three times that you even know me. I can't count on me. And, and, and I can't count on you. It, this is what happens in, in Peter's story, again, if you don't know it. On the night that Jesus is arrested, he's taken to the high court of the priest. Peter's kind of hanging by the edge. There's this kind of small charcoal fire that's burning. A little girl comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you one of the ones that uh, was following Jesus? He says, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's not me. A little later, someone hears his accent, and they're like, no, you sound like you're from Galilee. You, actually, you sound like him, actually. He says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I do not know that man. It happens a third time. This time he cusses like a sailor because he's a sailor just for emphasis so that people get, no, I have no idea who he is. And the rooster crows. You know how Peter responds in that moment? Scripture says he cries. He runs away. I mean, what a, what a moment. It has to be like maybe one of the moments that you've had in your life where you're like, how did that just happen? How did I let that happen again? How could I have allowed myself to be in that situation? How could I have failed like that? Now, you might be the one person in the room that's never experienced that kind of letdown or that kind of embarrassment, 
about something that you've done in your life. If that's you, just come forward after the service so you can just teach the rest of us because that'd be great. But most of us, we know what we know what Peter feels like. We know what it feels like to let ourselves down, to let Jesus down. You've made the commitment to do the thing that you never said you were gonna do again or to start doing something and never stop doing it. And at the end of the day, it's not just one letdown, it's multiple letdowns. And all of that, all that feeling of, I can't believe that, I can't believe I let that happen, I can't believe I said that, how did I do that? And I don't know about you, but I I totally relate to Peter in this moment. Peter's shot down, he's embarrassed, he's like, I had a chance, I... God had called me to something, but I just totally blew it. I embarrassed myself in front of all the other followers. I was talking this big game for years. Made such a big deal out of my commitment. And it's just all blown. So the text opens up here in John chapter 21. Uh, At this point, we're out of Jerusalem. So the followers of Jesus have all scattered. uh, What's after the uh, crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And now we find ourselves kind of on the Sea of Galilee. um, and, And this is where Jesus finds them. So John chapter 21, verse one and two. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. So Simon, Peter, he's the main character we're going to be talking about. Um, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which is a kind of a nickname that means twin. Um, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. This I love the way that the Bible's written because this just absolutely cracks me up because you got all these guys here who get kind of all these titles and then you have these two other dudes that's just like two other guys. It's like uh, if you've ever been untagged in a photo on social media and you're like, I'm, t- I'm in that photo. Like, why didn't you tag me? And you're like, am I supposed to tag myself? Because that seems kind of desperate and kind of lame. And maybe they didn't tag me for a reason. Why would they not tag me? I don't know. Anyway, so it, those two guys don't get mentioned there. It's kind of, it's a weird world we live in. Verse three, um, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But not that night they caught nothing. Now, when Peter says, I'm going fishing, he's not just talking about going out to enjoy a, a hobby to get his mind off of things. Peter is a professional fisherman. That's where God found him when he called him. Uh, it's like when I tell my wife, I'm going to play basketball. She understands what I'm saying. She knows, okay, you're going to go down to the park with some guys and hopefully you don't come home hurt. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. But in 1995, when Michael Jordan holds a press conference and he says, I'm going to play basketball after he had tried baseball, which is kind of funny, uh, everybody knew what he meant. He's not going to LA Fitness to play a pickup game. He is having a career change. And so that's what's happening here with Peter. Jesus found Peter when he was a fisherman. He said to him, put down those nets. I have a whole new life for you. But now Peter is full of shame. He thinks his opportunity with God is completely gone. And so he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to the life that I had before. He's not going to go off the rails necessarily. He's just going to kind of fade to black and sit out on what Jesus has called him to. And Peter does what I think a lot of us do in moments of embarrassment, in moments of shame, in moments of failure, 
we just kind of distract ourselves with other things because we feel I'm really in no shape to be in front of Jesus. And the way that we deal with that shame is to just kind of distract ourselves, to kind of silence the noise and the, and the voices. And what we need to see here is that when we fall and fail, it actually opens the door for the enemy to come in with some pretty heavy-duty accusation and shame. We make a big promise. We tell God and our friends what we're going to do. We set ourselves up as someone that God can count on, but at the end of the day, we fall flat on our face. We let ourselves down. We do what we never thought we'd do. We do what we said we wouldn't. And when we do, the enemy attacks and the attack, maybe you're familiar with this accusation, is always the same. You let God down. You let yourself down. You let others down. Don't even bother going back to God. You might as well just go back to the old life that you had before. You made all these claims. You made all these promises. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. You have a moment of failure. You're like, I just like, I'll just go back to the old relationship. I'll just go back to the old addiction. I'll just go back to the old way of being and living and coping. And the enemy convinces us that we don't have what it takes to be the follower that Jesus has called us to be, the life that he has for us. So the only move is backwards. And so you go backwards to what sort of satisfied you, even though you know it's a lie, it leaves you empty, but at least it's familiar. So we go back to this old environment, the idols that I used to look to and to cling to, back where you came from. It's interesting because, you know, Peter was in the room when Jesus showed up after the resurrection, but they don't have any kind of interaction there. At least they don't have a recorded interaction there. And so there's another moment uh, that, that Jesus has to have with Peter. And I just imagine Peter standing in that room when Jesus shows up, which first of all kind of freaked everybody out because the door was locked. He just kind of came through the wall and he's like, peace be with you. I'm here. I'm alive. Everything's cool. And I just imagine him there and he's like, oh man. Because the last time Peter saw Jesus, the last time they made eye contact was after the third denial. And the soundtrack was a crowing rooster. I imagine in this moment, Peter's a little sheepish. And so that's when he's like, you know what? I'm just going to get away and I'm just going to go fish. Now, I've been encouraging us to do this all through this book, but I want to just sit in the story. Let's not read this as something that just happened a long time ago. Let's sit in the story as it's happening. There's, there's been three years that, that Peter has had of incredible ministry along, Je along Jesus, walking with him. And then he sees this crucifixion, this horrible death, and miracle of miracles. He's alive, resurrection, amazing. Everything spiritually has changed. Everything in the world has changed, but it hasn't changed for Peter yet. So the scripture says they go out all night and they catch nothing. I don't know if you can relate to that. Not necessarily the fishing part, because that just happens. Um, but have you ever had an all night of nothing? Like, you know, I, I went back to my old way of living all night. And I just got an empty net. 
I, I, I party all night. I put my nets down all night, so to speak. At the end of the time, I had a whole night of nothing. And I mean, even like the best parties, the best people, the best drinks, the best drugs, the most laughs, the craziest stories, or the best jobs with the most money and the most opportunity, or the best relationships with the dream people, apart from Jesus, it all ends up with empty nets and a boatload of nothing except self-condemnation and shame and embarrassment and guilt. And then what does culture tell you to do? What does the world tell you to do? Get back out there. Just do it again. Just take the next night, one more night of nothing. That's where Peter is. I, I, I tend to think that God actually had something to do with them catching Nothing, because I think this is God in love, like jacking with his kids. Because that's what he does. He's not just going to let you go. He's, he's not, you're not just going to say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm over it. I'm just going back to this old life. He's not just going to say, well, okay, all right, fine. He's not just going to not pursue you. He's not just going to let you roll off. And, and a lot of times, the way that he pursues you is by complicating things for you. Because you go back to this old way of being, this old way of living, this old life, and it's not going to work out for you. It's going to be very frustrating for you. The sinful way in which you want to live your life is going to be interrupted, or even better, even more grace, is that it makes you miserable. So that night, they catch nothing. Look at verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus, and he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And I love this answer. No. No fish, man, whoever you are. Now, it's not translated super great here, um, because when Jesus calls out to them, the, the language, it's the diminutive masculine. So he's really saying, little boys... You don't have any fish, do you? He actually asks the question in a way that supposes a negative answer. He asks it kind of already knowing what it is. And so he says to them, little boys, you don't have anything, do you? The decisions that you're making aren't really working out for you, are they? They say, no, it's not. Now, I don't know if you know much about fishing, but... Fishermen hate it when you walk by and you're like, hey, catch anything? They hate that question, especially when they haven't caught anything. And so here are some guys just hollering from the shore, you don't have anything, do you? And they say, no. Now, again, put yourself in the story. It's probably a little heated at this moment. I don't know if you've ever been with someone or someone's and you're trying to accomplish something together and it's just not working out. It's like when you go to help your friends move in July in, in Arizona, and they don't have anything packed correctly, and you're trying to load the truck, and you're trying to help them, but it's 118 degrees outside, nothing's really working, and somebody comes out, and you're like, the truck's not loaded yet? No. Stop it. So the guys, I imagine, are a little on edge with each other. Peter is probably particularly just tormented because you've got to understand, Peter has just been replaying that moment in his head. And all he can hear is that rooster crowing. And he's trying to reset his life 
He's trying to move on from that miserable failure and it's just not working out. And so it just compounds how frustrated he is. And now some random guy is yelling out to him from the shore. It's not good. We got nothing. Look what else he says to him. He says in verse six, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. No fish? Hey man, uh, the right side. That's where the fish are. Throw it on the right side. Okay, again, get in the boat with these guys. Long night, frustrated. Peter's on the bow of the boat, staring out, and he's like, who is this joker, like, yelling at us right now? Because at this moment, Peter doesn't know it's Jesus. Peter has not read the Gospel of John. He doesn't know how this story is going to end. So he's standing there, staring out, and he says, have you tried the right side? Oh, really? The right side? Like, that's it, man? He goes, man, we've been out here all night. We've tried the right side, the left side, the front side, the back side. We've put the net down in every single side there is. We even put this guy, the disciple whom Jesus loves, we lowered him down in the net for a little bit, see if that would work. We've tried everything, and we got nothing. And so they let it down, and when they do, look what happens. It says in verse 6, when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. This little side note, this is not the message, but just a little side note worth noting. If you have been going through life and you have these kind of long nights of empty nets, Jesus knows where what you are looking for is. If you're looking for acceptance, Jesus knows where that is. If you're looking for friendship and meaning and purpose and joy and peace and healing and satisfaction and love, Jesus says, just listen to me because I know where all of it is. It's, it's in me. Whatever you're looking for in this life, he knows where it is. And when you are searching in the wrong places, he's gonna show up and he's gonna ask the same question over your life. How's it going? Not so good, huh? He knew they didn't have any fish. He's the Lord. <laughs> he didn't have to ask that question. He already knew they didn't have fish. But when Jesus asks the question, it gives us the opportunity to affirm the reality and to be honest about what's going on in our lives. And when we do, we've taken the first step in dealing with God in a restoring way. When we go through life trying to deny and pretend, we will not step into the grace of Jesus. When we are honest with God, about which he already knows, by the way, but when we are honest about our addictions and our sin and our failure and our idolatry, we can stop living a lie and we can stop living these long nights of nothing. When we can say, you know what? Everything that my sin has promised me, everything that just the world has promised me, it's not happening. And yeah, maybe it started out just as like fun or maybe it just started out as a, as a way to help me kind of sleep at night or just to cope with life. It's actually killing me. It's actually stealing life from me. And when we can be honest with God about that, we can hear from him where we should be setting our nets down because he knows what you're looking for and he knows how to lead you. Look at verse seven as we finish the story up. 
Then the disciple whom Jesus loved. So most people think this is John who authored this gospel. Turns to Peter. He says, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. John looks to Peter. He doesn't look to Thomas, doesn't look to the sons of Zebedee, doesn't look to Nathaniel, doesn't look to the two dudes untagged in the photo. He looks to Peter because this moment is for Peter. And he says, it's the Lord. Now, if you're somewhat familiar with the scripture and you're like, I think I've heard this story before, and you're right, because there's something very similar that happens when Jesus first calls Peter. Jesus is brilliant. He's recreating the moment that the relationship started with Peter so that Peter will know the relationship is still open. I've not closed it on you, Peter. You might have quit on the life that I called you to, but I have not quit on you. Don't miss this. Here in the moment of Peter's greatest failure, Jesus recreates the miracle that he first used to call Peter to walk with him. Jesus is creating a moment of connection again to let Peter know that he is not too far gone. And John says, it's the Lord. It's for you, man. It's him. And it's the same for you. How does God treat you in your failure? Is he harsh? Is he mean? Is he rude? Is he condescending and condemning? Does he yell at you? Some of you think that. Some of you, you go through life because that's how you think God sees you or talks to you or thinks about you. Some of you, that you have this voice that you are convinced is God that's condemning you, constantly telling you about your failures, constantly repeating the moments and the experiences that made you feel like you are too far gone or not enough, that you're never going to make it. And I don't know what it was for you, but some of you, you hear that voice and you attribute that to God. And when you imagine God, you imagine him on the shore screaming across the lake at you. But he's not like that. He's kind. He recreates the miracle to let Peter know that the door is still open. And Peter is, he's so funny to me uh, because he does what many of us feel like we have to do. When God shows us, when God shows up in a moment of kindness, we think, well, I better prove to him just how serious I am about this. And so Peter, he uh, picks up his clothes because apparently they're naked when they fish, which feels like something else we got to talk about another time. Very weird. Um, he picks up, takes his clothes and ties them around his waist, which you never do to go swimming. He like takes a robe and like ties it around himself. And, and I don't think it's like a graceful like dive into the water. I think, I think he's just like grabs his stuff, leaps over, falls over, very awkward, very Peter-esque. And he's like struggling to swim in because he wants to prove to Jesus, I am your guy. I'm really serious about this. Look at verse uh, Look at verse seven. He it says, it's the Lord, jumps in the water. Verse eight, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. I, this scene is so funny to me because I just see Peter like flailing with his like robe around his waist, like trying to kind of swim in. And the guys are like, hey, Peter. 
How's this swim, man? And they're hauling the net full of fish. They're like, thanks for the help. Could have used, you know, you. Anyway, so they're rowing by. Verse nine, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals and with it fish on it and with some bread. And Peter, you know, he's huffing, he puffing. He just, you see my swim, Jesus? I'm the first one here, barely. And Jesus has to show Peter again, hey, I told you, I can't count on you. That's not what this is about. This is not about you proving to me that I can count on you. It's about me proving to you that you can always count on me. You're not gonna come through, Peter. I already know that. But I am, I always will. You are not the cornerstone. I am. I'm gonna give you faith. I'm gonna give you the opportunity to be part of what I'm doing and building in the world, but it doesn't depend on you. It depends on me. You're gonna be a stone in the building, Peter. But the cornerstone, the one that everything is built off of, that's, that's me. And Peter, until you can get that, I can't use you. So they get there, and Jesus has this kind of small charcoal fire going. There's some fish and some bread. He's got breakfast going on the beach. Verse 10, Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, is full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. So again, it's the Peter show. I'm gonna swim to shore to show you that I'm serious. I'm the one who's gonna drag the net. I'm gonna serve in kids' ministry. I'm gonna read my Bible every day. God, I'm gonna show you that I'm super serious. I'm gonna make it up to you after I completely let you down. The thing here is that Jesus didn't need the fish. He could have he just hollered for the guys to come in. He already had fish cooking. I don't know where he got him. He could have just said, fish, up here. I don't know, he's God. Jesus has them go through this experience, though, because he's trying to reinforce what he's already taught them earlier in this gospel. In John chapter 15, 5, he says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, remember this verse, church, you can do nothing. Jesus is trying to teach him that. He's just trying to teach him that in a different way. You tried it your way. You tried all night and it didn't work. I show up, I give you one instruction and look how full your nets are. If you would just live according to my ways, if you would just experience my presence, if you would just look out for me, the whole net is full. Which means, by the way, another little sub thing, we should be asking Jesus way more about what we should be doing with our lives. We should be seeking direction and instruction way more than we do. We should not move without his leading. In all our ways, acknowledge him and not lean on our own understanding. Because wherever Jesus tells us to put our nets down, that's where it's gonna be best for us. Look how the story ends. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, this is amazing because these guys are dejected, they're tired, they're disillusioned, they're disappointed, a long night of nothing. And to that, Jesus just simply says, y'all hungry? You guys want, you guys want something to eat? 
What does God do? How does he treat you when you are a failure? He serves you breakfast. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't, I don't know what your hands have touched or what your eyes have seen or what you've said or thought or what's been done to you or said over you, but I know the heart of God. And in the midst of Peter's failure, Jesus recreates the moment of connection and he says, I still want you. And I believe what's so powerful about the story is that that is what God is saying to you today. I want you. That, that's what he's like. I mean, there's no lecture. There's no lesson like, hey, Peter, remember, man, when I told you what you were going to do? There's no speech outlining what he's done wrong. He just invites him to, to breakfast. After a long night of nothing, Jesus says, let's have breakfast together. What is that about? Why, why is he doing that? You know why? Because you eat breakfast with people that you like. And that's what Jesus wants him to to experience here grace and mercy. He wants Peter to experience the gospel all over again. John is reminding us that Jesus has come to serve us in our emptiness, that Jesus has come and steps into our long nights of nothing. When we've let ourselves down, when we've let God down, Jesus says, you look tired. You look beat down. You look scared. You look bewildered. You look disillusioned. Would you like some breakfast? The band's going to come up. We're going to close this message here. They sit down. I don't really know what kind of appetite Peter would have in this moment, honestly, because Jesus has him sit down next to a charcoal fire. And you might just read over that. That might not mean much to you. Um, but that particular description of charcoal fire is actually only used in one other place in the scriptures. It's the exact same fire that Peter sat at when he denied the Lord three times. It's the only other place in the scripture that description of fire is made. So again, Jesus is recreating this moment of failure to show Peter that he loves him. So they eat and then they go for a little walk, and you know that they go for a little walk because uh, the scripture says the disciple whom Jesus loves is trying to follow him to try to hear what Jesus is going to say. He's like, I have to get this. What's, what are they going to talk about? And they start walking, and Jesus has one question. This is what was read earlier this morning. Jesus has one question as they're walking, and he asks, he asks Peter three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I do. In fact, he says, Simon, son of John, right? So Jesus never talks to him like that. It's like when your mama calls you your full name. Paul Jacob Artino, you're like, all right, guys, I got to go home. I'm in trouble. He says, do you love me? And he says, you know that I do. And he says, do you love me more than these? And commentators are kind of split on what he's talking about. And he says, well, do you love me more than these? It's, it's like uh, some, some think that Jesus is saying, Peter, do you still think that you love me more than all these other disciples? Like, I know that was the big game you were talking. Do you still feel that? Or he could be talking about uh, like the fish and the lifestyle where he's saying, Peter, do you love me more than this old lifestyle of yours, and maybe it's a little bit 
um, more. And so he keeps asking him. And I don't think Jesus is being mean here, trying to rub Peter's nose in it, you know, like, hey, you know, there were three times that you said you didn't know me. Now I'm going to ask you the three times. I don't think that's what's happening here. He's not trying to shame Peter. And I know that because if he was going to shame Peter, you know what he would do? He would point backwards to his failure. But instead, he points forward to his future. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I do. I really do. I know. Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? You know. You know everything. You know everything about me. You know that I love you. I know. Feed my sheep. I've got something for you to do. So let's move on. Let's move on from the long night of nothing. And let's walk in what I've prepared for you. So you see, I think what Jesus is doing here is he's saving Peter's life. Because if Jesus didn't recreate this moment of dislocation, every time Peter heard a rooster crow in his life, it would be like some kind of trigger reminding him of his failure, reminding him of his betrayal and his weakness and his shame, and it would have dominated him. And so Jesus recreates the moment of Peter's greatest wound, not to hurt Peter, but to close the wound and to heal him. And Jesus wants to do the same thing with you. When God begins to move in your life, he's going to flood you with grace and he's going to let you know the relationship is still open and as you draw near to him, you are going to have to deal with the wounds. But Jesus will put his hand on your wounds not to hurt you, but to heal you. And in his mercy and in his goodness and in his loving kindness, he will go to the place where something shameful was spoke over you or done to you or your place of greatest regret or fear or insecurity. All of these sins that have determined the way that you show up in the world, the wounds that dominate you from your past, the things that have convinced you that you're too far gone, he will go to that place of wounding not to shame you, but to take the shame from them, from you. Not to make you relive the pain, but to relieve it. So he goes to Peter and he says, we have to deal with this. I know you love me. Let's move on. And yes, there are consequences to our sin. There are consequences to our decisions. The Bible is very clear about that. But there is a grace that overwhelms the consequences because his mercy is new every morning. I love this story because it's my story. It's our story. Because we have all had long nights of nothing. And the dawn breaks with the Son of God calling us back to him and his grace washing over us. Not extending condemnation, but extending to us forgiveness and love and mercy. And he's saying to us, you are not disqualified from what I am doing on planet earth. Feed my sheep. And Jesus wants to take the deniers and the liars and the cheaters and the partiers and the haters and the adulterers and all those who have let themselves down and let Jesus down. And he says, I'm gonna use all of them to build a house of grace for my fame and my glory. And I'm gonna take all these jacked up stones 
and I'm going to build them on the perfect cornerstone of Jesus. And he looks at Peter and he says, man, would you just look at the world? It's a scary world out there. Take care of the sheep. There's something for you to do. Peter, I, I, I know the sin. I saw it. It's awful. We all saw it, but I died for it. And my grace super abounds over you. So let's heal and let's move on. And he ends in verse 19. He says, follow me. And he tells him the kind of life that he's going to have. And he said, the very same, the very first thing that I said to you, Peter, is what I'm still saying to you today. Follow me. Don't have a life that's ruled by your failures. Have a life that is led by your faith in the one who has paid the debt for your failures. The one who has come to meet you in the morning on the shore who says, once again, follow me. Every week we celebrate communion here. There's elements that are on your chair or at least near you. This is another meal of grace. It's another meal where Jesus has provided everything necessary for it. He's provided his body. He's provided his shed blood. He's provided the bread. He's provided the cup. And if you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, this meal is for you because it's something that you celebrate in remembrance. Um, it's something that you celebrate as a confession that your hope, that your faith, that your trust is in Christ and in Christ alone. It's an understanding that I could never earn my way into a relationship with Jesus and I cannot do enough to keep a relationship with Jesus because all of my trying, all of my effort is another long night of nothing. It's another night of empty nets. And if that's your confession, then you with gladness take the bread and take the cup as a way of saying my hope, my trust, my faith alone is in the perfect, finished work of Jesus. If that's you, eat and drink in celebration. After we eat and we drink, we always sing. Because there's nothing more worth singing about than the amazing grace of God in our lives. So let's stand and do that now.